Last week, Jay put me in the all too comfortable position of talking about myself. And this week, now I get to put him in the hot seat. So here we are. I'm going to ask Jay a bunch of questions and give you guys the opportunity to get to know who Jay is, what makes him tick, and really why he's a marketing coach in the first place. Entrepreneurs shouldn't be stuck. It's unnecessary, it's frustrating, and unfortunately, it's where most of us end up landing. Your business should serve you, your dreams, and the future you set out to create. So let's destroy the myth that you have to work 60, 80, or 120 hours a week in order to make your dreams a reality. I'm Jay. And I'm India. This is the Marketing Breakthrough Podcast. Let's Let's get get to it. it. Okay, Jay, it's your turn to be tortured a little bit. So here's the first question. When we designed Marketing Breakthrough, what part spoke to your soul the most? I wanted to be able to connect with people on a deeper level of watching their vision go from idea or concept or maybe infant stages or even, I mean, even if the business was a little bit more progressed, but I wanted to be able to connect and help entrepreneurs see their vision to fruition. And we got to do that a little bit through the agency that we ran, but it wasn't it wasn't the same. It Mm -hmm. didn't provide the same level of satisfaction and enjoyment because what I really wanted to do was be able to help people and watch their eyes light up, watch them come alive as they talk about their ideas. They talk about what their dream is. as They talk about where they want to go in the future and help them hit those milestones, not just creating a business where, it runs, it, it works, it makes them a job, they're still stuck inside of it, but I wanted to be able to help them create a business that provided fulfillment and enjoyment. And obviously, there's always going to be days that you dread, but starting Marketing Breakthrough was, the desire behind it was, I want to watch people come alive, people talk about their dreams, people share some of their fears some of the struggles that they're working through and be able to really watch as that passion is ignited and be able to be a cheerleader along the way as they work through their projects. Well, and now it's more than just those businesses starting out. Now we work with a lot of clients that have established companies and they're doing really, really well. But then a lot of them, they're, these companies or these leaders within these companies are looking for opportunities to get away, to rediscover that freedom. And you don't have to be a startup to get stuck. You don't have to be an entrepreneur with just a dream in order to get stuck. You don't have to be an entrepreneur with a you know, fifty or $100,000 business in order to hit a roadblock. You, you can be running a one five, ten million dollar company and you can hit stumbling blocks along the way. And that's just part of what we do. And so being able to provide that outside perspective and be that what we refer to every once in a while is that 30,000 foot overview being a drone in the sky to be able to see and help them navigate that maze from a different perspective is so much fun. At what point did you decide that it was more important to you to transition from the agency into the coaching space? I think that was when I started losing 
excitement for delivering projects to clients. And, and part of it actually was also having to do with money. Like I'm not, I don't self-identify as a very good salesman because I'm not good at the upsell. I'm not really good. I wasn't good at passing along the understanding of value. So if I saw what your company needed to do and we were already running organic social media and I saw an opportunity to run ads to create a higher conversion rate and to immediately turn that into more money, I had a hard time conveying the reason because at the end of the day, any marketing is an experiment. Mm -hmm. It could have worked last month and it might not work this month. And so being able to communicate that and articulate that in a way where I was still trying to communicate the value to you, a lot of times I just found that clients were seeing it as more dollars spent. And I would have almost been willing in, I can tell you immediately, like at five different situations where I was almost willing to write those checks myself and pay those bills myself and not take anything from it except for get paid off of results because I saw the possibility and the potential of what this could do. Mm-hmm. But I was really bad at selling the why because there was something to be made for me. Whereas moving into the coaching space that I'm in, I get paid based on a predetermined amount of money. And I have no reason other than wanting to retain you and just wanting to continue working with you and seeing your business grow. I have no reason to upsell you. If I, if I tell you, you should start running ads and you start making money, it's a win for you. Yet you, you probably will continue working with me as a coach and continue wanting my help because I'm able to help your business grow, but I'm not making more money from that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And in the ads world, there is a lot of stigma around that. Like, oh, hey, we should go up from $5,000 a month to $10,000 a month in ad spend because we can convert more leads. Well, when you go up in ad spend, generally you're running off of a percentage that you're getting paid. So it also makes me more money every month that you run more ads. And And I had such a hard time with that Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, honestly, it had nothing to do with me making money off of that project. I wanted to see people win. I wanted to watch clients, their income grow. I wanted to watch their businesses boom and explode. And I could see these missing components. And I always felt like there was a conversation revolving around, yeah, but what are you getting out of this? And I'm just not, I'm not good at the sales side of that where I'm communicating value and uh, in, in such a way that people are like, oh, well, that makes sense. And I'm willing to take that jump and I'm willing to pay you more money for it. I just felt like there was always kind of the, the conversation of, yeah, but I could also just save that money. I could not spend that money. And so anyway, all that way, all that story to work around to, I really enjoy what I'm doing now because I lost interest. I lost passion for delivering some of these projects to people and watching them not know how to use it. 
Like a website as an example, a website is a powerful tool and we would build a website for a lot of clients that was very, very effective, but they didn't know how to implement and rein in its power. Mm -hmm. I know it was advocating that really changed things. Like it, it transformed your approach in how you talked to leads. Like how did that happen for you? I found myself looking for a coach, looking for somebody who could push me and who could challenge me because I was struggling with a few things over the last year. And I ended up getting into this community where we started talking about this desire to create community. And the word, somebody brought up the idea of manipulation and like, oh, you know, manipulation is a bad thing. We don't want to manipulate people. And and he pushed back and said, yeah, but I want you to think of it, not, not the manipulation side, but it's not manipulating. If you are truly there to advocate on somebody's behalf and you are pushing them towards something because it will help them win, you are not manipulating them. If you're manipulating them, if you're, if you're trying to leverage and, and convince somebody to do something for your personal gain and they don't get anything out of it, then yeah, it's manipulation. But in the case that we are creating the community that we are, the desire that we have to help businesses grow the way that we do, I'm an advocate. And so when I go into those meetings, I no longer feel like I have to sell. If I see us as a good fit and being able to truly benefit your business, then I am going to push you. I am going to push that conversation and say, we need to do this. If it's not a good fit, either for you or for me, if I see some red flags or hazards or ways that I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you build your business, then I really don't want to take you on as a client because it's really not going to work and be beneficial for either one of us because I'm going to be scratching my head trying to figure out what it is that needs to be done, why this isn't working. You're going to be frustrated because you're paying me and we're not getting results. And at the end of the day, we want to create a win-win. I don't want to just win. I mean, if I'm honest, I don't want you to just win. You winning is awesome, but (laughs) I want both of us to win. I want to be as fulfilled with your results as you are. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that love for community came from? So similarly to the conversation of advocating, I was at a retreat this summer. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit further. At the end of 2018, I went to a conference in Nashville, Tennessee called Story. And it was put on by a friend of mine who talked about the power and the importance of using story in everything that we do and how talked about how it's the storytellers that are going to be changing the world and you know it's people in the way that they they hold on to the narrative and the way that they tell stories and write stories and create stories and the way that we paint pictures for people through words and and movies and painting and and all these things so went to this conference it talked about the story so I'd always like thought about the story and then this summer I was at a an event a retreat with this coaching community and somebody was brought in to help us extract some of that story and find pieces of your childhood pieces of your formative years rather that were helpful in 
who you are as a person, what your story actually is. And what I started to realize was that the community that I had as a child, I wanted to create for other people. Mm. And this was through BMX racing. And I grew up racing between the time that I was six years old and 11 years old. And I had this community that I never, I didn't think too much of. I, I loved it. I had a great time racing. I had a great time with all these people. I would still call them friends. I'm still in contact with many of them, but I, I didn't think a whole lot of it. And then go back about almost a year. And I had a friend from these racing years who had a couple of bikes that I always looked at and kind of idolized in some ways. I wanted these bikes, the way that he, he rode these bikes, um, the way that these bikes were just identical and, and absolutely gorgeous. They looked beautiful. And I always thought they'd be cool. Well, he was moving and I said, Hey, what are you doing with your bikes? And he said, ah, I never really plan to get rid of them. And I said, okay, well, if you do, and um, since you're moving out of the area, if you decide to get rid of them, let me know. And his response was, well, if you want them, you can have them because I can't think of anybody better for them to go to, which was an incredible honor Mm -hmm. in its own way. But I got these bikes and honestly, I don't know if I knew how much they meant to me. I got them. They were very sentimental at the time because I always watched him ride them. But then I got them and because of those, it allowed the kids and I to get into BMX racing this year. And then India and I found ourselves in Salt Lake City. We were driving north on on I-15, and we were passing through Salt Lake. We had left St. George, Utah that morning. We were on our way to uh, up to Montana, and I looked at the clock and I was like, hey, if we keep driving, if we can push today, we might be able to make the race in Salt Lake City. I think it's like South Jordan or West Jordan, wherever the outdoor track was. And so I, we got a hold of them. We registered via Instagram and got a hold of them. There was a, a lightning and rain delay for a little while. The weather cleared. We ended up getting to race. After that race, we ended up staying in their parking lot in our trailer. And India and I talked about the community that was formed. And We talked about how our daughter, who was five years old, she had come up to us and said, Dad, he said that we could, the track operator said that we could keep riding. Will you ride with me? And I said, I can't right now, kiddo. You and your brother have ridden. I have to go and set up the trailer. Your brother has to go to sleep, but you can ride if you want to. And so she went back out, come to find out that she went to the track operator who was eight times her age. He was like, he was like 40 <laughs> years old and a, an incredible guy, the most hospitable mm-hmm. group and track that we have been to um, called Rad Canyon BMX. And we, we get there. They're so welcoming. She had gone up to the track operator and said, Hey, do you have your bike? And he said, I do. And she said, do you want to race me? And he said, I would love to hold on. And this then, is our five-year-old daughter. <laughs> five-year-old daughter. She ends up coming back to India and she tells her the story and then says, and I beat him three times. And <laughs> yeah. it's just so funny. But he rode the track with her three times. And it it like melted my heart in a really big way. And that's kind of what led to all of this is that in what area of life 
do you have five-year-old kids that feel comfortable addressing a 40-year-old man, five-year-old girl addressing a 40-year-old man and saying, hey, will you ride bikes with me? Will you go and hang out with me? And she was out riding as well on the track with uh, 18 and Mm 19-year-olds at the time. And it was like 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. He said, hey, we can leave the lights on until 10. At that point, I just have to turn them off. And it was absolutely amazing. And I tell you all of this because the community that was formed, what I realized is that there was this community that was formed within BMX racing as a kid where I saw these 30-year-olds that I spent time with as my friends. And if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, I'm friends with these people. And I know a lot of people that see age as a difference and a discrepancy and like, oh, we're at different stages of life. I've always had friends that are older than me and it's never been an issue. I've never seen the age as an actual gap. And so over this summer, I actually ended up at this retreat back in the Salt Lake area at Snowbird and was hanging out there and he helped us to find these pieces of story of these people that were so pivotal in our lives. And I realized that this guy that had, his name's Todd Taylor, and this guy that had these bikes that I got last year, he created a community. People wanted to be around him. He created a BMX racing team. And it wasn't about winning. It was about, I would say, emotionally, sportsman-like winning. Mm-hmm. He didn't care if you won. He wanted to know if you had a good time. And he created this this opportunity for me to be a part of something and to laugh and play, but he also challenged me. And so all of this really long story to say that I've realized that the community that I want to create is that of the community that I had when I was six to 11 years old, when the pieces of my life that I remember being some of the most formative, that I have some of the fondest memories of, and where now looking back, I can see some of the pieces of my life that were the most helpful in my growth and creation as an adult human. Mm. To finish out that thought, I set out to create a community that I wanted to have, a community that I needed. And one of the things that my coach said to me and to a few other people, but that I felt was specifically spoken to me was if you find yourself as desperate for this community as you are, how much more are the people that you're waiting to serve looking for a community that you need to create in order for them to have some sense of belonging and have some sense of community and have some sense of accountability and someone pushing them and challenging them. I remember when you came home with that, that statement and it was, I mean, it was transformative. It was intense. And for listeners, I just, I want to point this out because if you feel like whether it's creating a community or creating a product or forming the service or whatever it is that that you your dream your goal to create or that you are in the process of doing or that you already have created whatever it ends up being i'm reminded of how only you can have these ideas and only you can be as passionate about them as you are 
And it's almost to a point where you are responsible to see these things come to place, come, come to fruition so that you can make an impact on the people out there, other people out there who are thirsty to receive them. I think sometimes it sounds cheesy to say, but you have a magic that the world needs. You have some sort of life that you can bring to the world. And if you're listening to this and you are an entrepreneur or, I mean, even if you're just somebody that is a marketing professional, I think that you have, that you're in those roles because you have some sort of a desire to change the world on some level. Mm, It could be a small scale. Um, It could be a really big scale, really large scale. But ultimately, you have the desire, this this innate desire that you can't get rid of to change the world. And so what I wanted to do was we were coaching more on an individual level earlier in the year. And then I moved it to a community coaching, to a group coaching program, because I believe that's where I've gotten the majority of my growth in recent months. And I think that that is more effective long-term for entrepreneurs because it's very easy to feel alone in this journey. Absolutely. Speaking of the magic that you bring to the table, what in your previous careers do you draw upon now that craft your perspective? So last week we talked with India and talked about her administrative role and graphic design role and some of the promotional efforts that she had done for this church that we worked at. And I was the youth pastor and I got to work with teenagers, which I absolutely loved. And some of my favorite stories still come from working with teenagers. And I am really, really good at creating fun. Mm -hmm. Very good at creating experiences and creating memorable moments. And I didn't necessarily know going into this season that I was on staff as a youth pastor, I didn't really know that this was a skill that I had other than I just really enjoyed adventure, Mm -hmm. really enjoyed doing things. And so we would create opportunities where we would go on road trips and we would go and help out at different camps. And um, one of my favorite things was going over to Montana and go for a week and a half or two weeks and be able to stop along the way and be able to do things and then spend time exploring in that area. One of the comments made by a teenage girl said there were 10 of us going over to Montana and I was asking them at the end of the trip, like what their favorite part was. And they were telling me about that. And then one of the things that she said has always stuck with me. And she said, yeah, and trips that we've gone on with Jay are the only trips in my life where I've been out of state. And it was interesting because I think there were two other students in that group that said the same thing, that the trips that we had taken were the only times where they had actually gone on long distance travel, or some of them had never really gone on longer road trips. And I loved being a part of that part of their life, those stories. Mm Mm-hmm. And we would always try to break up the drive. One of the places that we would stop coming from the Seattle area was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And I have a friend that lives in Coeur d'Alene. And so he became our tour guide. So we would get over there 
and we'd figure out where we were staying and then we would go and grab dinner and then we would go and he would take us out to some of the trails to go cliff jumping and then we would go there's a really cool park over there um if you haven't been to Coeur d'Alene, you need to go. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's called McEwen <laughs> Park, and it's so fantastic. And you can even, I mean, you can keep teenagers busy there. It's really, really entertaining and really fun. And so then we would go get, like I said, dinner, get uh, go cliff jumping, go get ice cream, go to the park, all this stuff. And one of my favorite moments was in Coeur d'Alene when a, a 16-year-old boy said, Oh man, it's, I'm so tired. It's like eight o'clock or it was like eight or eight 30. And he's like, I'm so tired. Can we just go back and so that we can go to bed? And I was like, no, like <laughs> we're just getting started. Like this is just the beginning of the party. Right. And so it was fun being able to create moments where they're like, I was so tired, but Jay just kept pushing us to go and go and go and kept doing more things. So I love creating fun moments for people to have and to hold on to for years or hopefully a lifetime. Well, something that I definitely know that we've bonded over, knowing that I have this desire to to go deep and really connect with people. And then you have this really vital goal of bringing fun in. Actually, something that you had just said about that that student who had complained at 8.30 saying, can we just go to bed? And you're like, no, is... I love how your goal was always to use a fun experience to help break down walls and really discover that level of vulnerability so that you could build a relationship and truly connect with whether it was students or transitioning it now to the community that we have. That's what we do. We love encouraging people to have fun and find ways to kind of break down those barriers so that they can go to the next level. Absolutely. Because when you can find some common ground in, I feel like there are a couple of elements, laughing, almost dying, and being really tired. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think, I mean, men in general bond mostly over when they both almost die together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But then like, just having a source of laughter, having a source of being really, really tired or having a long, just a long day, a long trip, a long drive, whatever the, whatever the situation is, being able to have that commonality and finally you just get, get worn down. I believe that it's on a very real level and working with adults now and you go to, to different events and people will talk about uh, as the example is like alcohol is a social lubricant. So people will say like, oh, it just makes it makes it easier to talk and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that because I feel like that's a, an artificial breaking down of walls and mm-hmm. barriers. And I don't feel like the answer that you get, maybe there's a bit more truth to it, but I still don't think it's as honest as when you get somebody that's being incredibly vulnerable. I think there's still a superficiality if that's a word, mm-hmm. um, and to, to using alcohol or using substances to, to break down those walls. And so when you have, when you're able to create these, these experiences where you're laughing, you're working together, you're, um, you're talking together, you're on long drives and you have these fun moments 
that cause us to open up and remember different things and kind of figure out how they tie into where we're at in business and in life. And, you know, this entrepreneurial journey, like there are ways to tie in your story to a lot of things. And if we're creating an event, I can bring you into some very, very fun experiences. I'm also very good at creating fun experiences out of relatively boring experiences. (laughs) Yeah, that we are. So I can do that. And either way, the goal is that you walk away with a memory. Mm-hmm. And and hopefully conversation comes out of that. Hopefully some realization comes out of that for for yourself, for your business. But being able to carry that over. So from my life of spending time working with teenagers and and helping foster relationships in that environment to now working with entrepreneurs and helping businesses and helping them foster relationships with their clients, with their employees, with their team is just, it's, it's a fun transition and it all works together so seamlessly. Well, Jay, because I am your wife, I definitely can speak to this. There's one very annoying trait that you have. <laughs> that and, I'm so awesome. Yeah, yes. No, actually, Actually, yeah. No, it's that you have this annoying ability to be good at stuff that you try, things that you've never done before. And it's, I I mean, it starts with you being a little kid and knowing how to back up a trailer just by looking at it. Or you, first time you ever tried wakeboarding and you just got it right off the bat. I mean, you go down the list, there's so many different activities, so many things that you did. And I think it speaks to how you naturally analyze or or pay attention to how something is done when you watch someone else do it like you really take the time and you don't assume that you know how you ask questions and you're very open to to understanding but you're also really willing to try and not be good at it in the first place and yet you are good at it which is annoying (laughs) but i say all that because I want you to share about your journey of really learning how to take photos. Like, how did you become a photographer? Before I answer that, I want to speak to India saying that I analyze things. I analyze things. It doesn't mean I totally understand them. Sometimes I can do them, but I don't really understand them. So I feel like you understand them in your own way. Yeah, it doesn't make sense when people are like, oh, well, that, okay, well, so how do you do that? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I can't explain it. Um, (laughs) Just do it. Like, I was talking to a friend that is a mountain biker, and he grew up racing mountain bikes and road bikes. And he's like, I'm just not very fast, like going through corners, and and I I could use your help with jumping. And I was like, okay, well, I could, we could go out and I could teach you how to jump. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, maybe I, can I'll try and he's like well I know like when you go through corners faster you do this with your body and like you have to lean this way and I was like I have never thought about that like that has never crossed my mind whatsoever is that what people are doing when they're going faster through corners I do that and and (laughs) you think of things in that way I don't analyze I'm like just do it like jumping you just have to figure it out like okay I'm gonna admit some fault here i have not been, I was not a very good teacher when India and I started dating. Um, and I took her (laughs) snowboarding for the first time and she was like, okay, well, how do I stop? And I was like, well, just try and go down the hill first and you'll probably crash. And she said, well, how do I stop? And I'm like, well, you don't need to know how to stop because you're not going to go far enough or fast enough to 
you're going to fall before you need to know how to stop. She goes, well, how do I stop? And I'm like, you don't need to know. I'm not going to tell you that because it's just going to be overwhelming information. There's no reason for you to know how to stop because you're not going to need to know how to stop. You're just, you're going to stop. Like I promise you, gravity will stop you. I was so mad at you at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't a great situation. Um, She still married me though. So that's cool. But (laughs) I've learned a lot since then, but I don't really, I don't know how to, I don't analyze things on that level. Like the step-by-step, I just kind of look at something, watch it being done or just apply. I say a lot of times it's just common sense and India's response is no, that's not (laughs) common sense. No. (laughs) And so anyway, sometimes I have a harder time, but I'm, I'm much better at articulating things now. But to India's question about photography, I got into photography because I really, I've always thought it was fun to take pictures. Um, I got a couple of cameras as a kid and I took pictures of, you know, my friends and I riding our bikes at the skate park and jumping off of high things and doing cool stuff, which wasn't really that cool, but we thought it was. (laughs) Then around the time that I was about 22, I think I got a camera and started playing around with it, started learning how to take pictures and just kind of stumbled through it on my own and learned what f-stop was and you know f-stop and aperture hey they're the same thing they're just called two different names and then learned what shutter speed was and learned what iso was and i had a friend who was a photographer and he explained some things to me and it still didn't make sense so i just like stumbled through and and now if somebody's learning how to take pictures i'm like well just like experiment with it just change one setting at a time or change a few settings see how it works see what it does to the photo and then just expect that you're going to take about a million photos and two of them might turn out. Um, the rest of them, you're going to be like, these are dumb. These are terrible photos. <laughs> um, so uh, imagine like, just set yourself up for success by saying that I'm going to waste a year of my life taking photos that are all terrible. And then after that, I might get one. So <laughs> I taught myself how to take pictures though. And then I just continued learning, continued figuring out things that were really fun to take pictures of for me. And, uh, that bled into, you know, the agency side where I was able to take pictures commercially. And I I would say on the side of photography, like I'm a big advocate for starting with less than the best of equipment, Mm -hmm. because if you start with the best equipment, one, it does a lot of the work for you, but two, you just don't know exactly what you're getting. And so being able to stumble through some things with equipment that was subpar and learning that once I got into better equipment than it equipped me for better photos with my background i definitely had the opportunity to tell you if your pictures were bad but i never did like you you had a visual eye for it that i never had like from an artistic standpoint like i could take a picture and i could i could take portraits and i could you know frame someone in there and make sure it looks great make sure the lighting was great it was very mathematical from my perspective and you you would come in and you would take your camera and take pictures from the ground or from a different perspective. And you're like, well, this is what I was thinking. I I saw it in my head and that's what I want to take a picture of. And I thought, oh my gosh, my brain does not work like that. Which it showed me from the very beginning that I thought that this was something that you were meant to do. Like it was always going to be a part of you. And so every time you came up to me and you said, I think I need to buy a new lens or I need to get a different camera or I want to, I want to try this. Or even though I rolled my eyes because I totally did. I also knew that it was something that was going to help you improve your skill. And every time you got a new lens or a new piece of equipment, 
it rung true. Like you really did increase your skill every time. And so looking at your photos now, I believe they're completely amazing. And not just because I'm your wife, <laughs> but because they are, they're, they're great. They're relevant, but it all started because you were willing to push yourself and to take a million bad photos to get those two. Absolutely. And I, I have no problem doing so. And I think to tie all of that into business as well, because the photography side isn't something that we necessarily even promote anymore. I don't really advertise that I'm a photographer. Every once in a while, somebody will hire me to take photos and stuff, um, which is super fun. And I really enjoy it, actually. But we don't advertise it anymore. Sometimes I think that we have to be willing to work through some of the bad ideas. And, you know, especially when it comes to marketing, it's all an experiment. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's that that equipment or whether it's um, being able to just try things or being okay with, um, I think a key piece of this culturally is that we just need to be okay with failure, failure, um, failing and not necessarily calling it failure because the only failure is not trying again, but being okay with things not working out and being okay with moving on from there. And then, you know, and then we, we learn things along the way, whether it's getting new equipment as a photographer and then it improving your skill or, or not getting new equipment and having to work with the old. And that might be skills as an entrepreneur. That might be different, different pieces of, of the equation and being able to see when something is holding you back or sometimes it's just needing a new outside perspective, needing a new coach, needing somebody that's going to push you and challenge you and see the perspective that you don't see. Um, in the same way that you were talking about, you could see things in my photos that I couldn't necessarily see. You could analyze things that I couldn't analyze. And so it's, it's interesting how many correlations there are as a photographer over to entrepreneurship as a whole. Well, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this and answering the questions and talking about yourself. I actually, I really appreciate you sharing these things because as we're going through this little two-part series where listeners have an opportunity to get to know you at a deeper level. I love being able to share the true backstory to why you believe in community so much, why you believe in fun and the need for adventure and the, the desire to get to that vulnerable state and also why you believe in the importance of trying new things and really applying yourself and not giving up and pushing on. And I, I love having an opportunity for you to share because you are the other part of this team. And I know that I have skills, but I don't have your skills. And this is why we work so well together. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you feel like you connect with Jay and I, and you would like an opportunity to have a discovery call, send us a message. That's aha, A-H-A at marketingbreakthrough.co. We would love to talk to you about what it is that we do, what coaching looks like, what our community is like, and to just dive in and help you go to the next level. Marketing Breakthrough is a community of entrepreneurs with a vision of creating meaningful, sustainable businesses that allow freedom, fun, and adventure in their lives. Time is the only resource you can't get more of, so we believe in finding a way to achieve our entrepreneurial dreams with freedom in mind. We've designed this resource hub of tools, tricks, and techniques to grow your business and live the life that you set out to create.